Turn with me this morning again to the book of Acts as we continue our uh, series through this book together. Acts chapter 3. And before we read, I just want you to imagine you read this story to your children, the story of Peter healing the, the crippled man. And you close your Bible and your child asks, what does this story mean? Why did this happen? Hold on to that, that question for a moment. Let me illustrate what it, my, my point is here with another example, another story. Say you've just read to a class of students an account of the Battle of Gettysburg. Okay? And a student asks you, what does it mean? What, what's the significance of this, this story you've just told us? And imagine you answer, well, the meaning of the Battle of Gettysburg is simply that you know, some men were upset with each other and they got into a fight. You know, and, and some people died. Well, that would be a ridiculous answer, right? The, the meaning of the Battle of Gettysburg has to do with the context of the whole Civil War and the North and the South and why people were killing and what they were dying for and uh, it has to do with its place as a pivotal battle in, in the whole war and General Meade and, and General Lee and the whole, really the whole trajectory and history of the United States. We'll come back to the question about uh, this story of healing in Acts chapter 3. And if a little child asks you, what does it mean? I think too often we approach Bible stories somewhat like that, the first answer I gave about the Battle of Gettysburg. Well, this, this story means we should be nice to others. This story means that God cares about people who are sick and hurting. Those are true things, true statements. But the Bible's not just a collection of, of fascinating moral stories. It's one grand story of redemption whose, whose main character is not us, it's not even the people that are in the story, but it's God uh, and what God is doing. And so we ought to ask of a, of a story like this or any in the Bible, why is it here? Why did this happen? How does it fit into the story of redemption? And, and see how it fits into the story of the Bible, the story of all of history. And, and proclaims the central message of the Bible. So I would just suggest that the meaning, the main point of the healing of this man in this, in this story here is that Jesus is powerfully at work to save sinners. That Jesus is powerfully at work to save sinners. So we're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Um, verses 1 through 10 is the, the healing of this man, and then uh, the rest of the chapter is Peter's sermon. But it's all one story, all one event. Uh, Peter's sermon, in fact... Uh, explains the healing and is itself illustrated by the healing. Uh, ho hopefully that will make, make, make some sense as we go on. Uh, so chapter 3, the book of Acts, hear God's holy word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us, and began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping 
and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus has fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward, who also announced these days, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. I will end our reading there. I'm going to consider uh, three points as we look at this sermon, this, this uh, text and sermon of Peter this morning. First, just review the, the setting and the details of the healing of this man and understand that scene. And then secondly, consider the meaning of the healing what is the point? What's, what's proclaimed in this? Why is this here? Uh, and then thirdly, uh, consider some application of the healing. What, what does it call us to, to know or to do? So first, this, this is the first uh, apostolic healing that's recorded in the New Testament. Um, verse 1 tells us Peter and John were going to the temple at the ninth hour. Uh, is, there, there were two times at the temple that were, the sacrifices were offered, and there were times that people gathered for prayer, two times for prayer. Um, the sacrificial system, of course, now has been fulfilled in Christ. Uh, it's, it's been abrogated in that sense. Uh, it doesn't say why exactly Peter and John went there, what they went there for, perhaps to pray simply, perhaps to evangelize as we find them doing at the temple. A number of times, but the, the ninth hour is, is three in the afternoon. This is the second prayer time of the day. Uh, verse two, 2 tells us about this man who's lame from his mother's womb, who was there at the gate. And that, that tells us two things. The, the, the Greek word is not the same that's, that's usually used for someone who's paralyzed, um, but it's a word for someone who is, is crippled in some way and, and cannot walk. Um, and the other thing it, we're told here is that this has been 
his whole life uh, since he was born. He's not been able to walk. Um, he's been carried by, by friends or family every day to the temple to uh, beg alms, it says. Those are, those are gifts for the poor, gifts for charity. And this was a, an important and, and fairly seriously held responsibility, it seems, in, Ju- in Judaism at the time. Of course, had no social services like we do, and, and so uh, the, the poor and needy depended on giving alms. Uh, and the place where they were was, uh, Luke tells us, the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate. And uh, it's not certain that, that that title isn't attested somewhere else outside of this passage. So it's not certain which gate at the temple is meant. But there are, there are several possibilities. Uh, it's almost certainly one of the ones that Josephus, the ancient historian who was, who was there and knew the temple well, uh, he describes nine gates at the temple, nine huge ornate gates. Uh, eight of them, he says, were overlain with gold and silver. Um, and then there's a, a ninth one, and this is, m- most scholars guess this is probably the beautiful gate, um, that was overlain with bronze, not gold, but Josephus' comment is it far exceeded in value those that were covered with gold. Uh, because Josephus says this gate was 50 by 40 cubits. That means it was 75 feet tall and 60 feet wide. So imagine a gate like that. Josephus said it took 20 men to push it open and to push it closed uh, every day at the temple. So it's quite a grand setting uh, for this healing here. And notice briefly, Peter, verse 4, gets his attention. Uh, he looks at them eagerly, no, no doubt expecting you know, a gift of coins. That's what he's there for. Uh, In verse 6, Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And verse 7 tells us immediately, uh, immediately he he could do what he's never done before in his life. And verse 8 is a fun one describing how he's walking and leaping and praising God. Uh, I suppose if you had never walked before, you would be leaping uh, and testing your legs in that way. Uh, and people recognize him. Uh, the, the next, you know, this, this story continues for quite a ways in Acts. The next story, Peter and John go on trial for this. And uh, we're told there that this man was, was 40 years old. Uh, people recognized him. They'd known him for a long time. Uh, and verse 10 tells us they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's consider secondly then the, the message of this healing, the meaning of the healing. And I want to consider four things, four things this healing says. The, the first two points that you see in your outline there are really drawn uh, from the context, from thinking about miracles generally in the Bible, uh, and addressing the question, why, why does God do at times, why does he do these uh, supernatural phenomenon through people? Uh, what, what, is, what is the point? As we come to that question, uh, we might think to ourselves, well, this is just this is just how it is in the Bible. This is what God does. Lots of miracles. And so here's an important point to recognize. Uh, miracles are very rare in the Bible. Uh, maybe you haven't thought about it that way or recognized that before. Miracles are very rare in, in all of history. Uh, think about it this way. The Bible covers about 4,000 years of human history. Uh, a person performs a miracle in the Bible only about 80 times. And just about all of those are clustered in in three little slivers of time, uh, time frames. That's, uh, again, maybe sort of surprising. Think of it from from this wall to this wall, the the span of history that's covered. Uh, There there are 
you know, three little, let's see, three little slivers. There's in the time of Moses and miracles. And then Elijah and Elisha uh, around the prophets, there's a time of some miracles. And then uh, Jesus and the apostles, there's a time of miracles as well. It, it's kind of like they say, they, people like Mingwu say, 99.9 whatever percent of an atom is empty space, right? Um, that's kind of how miracles are in, in history. Um, so why, why these? Why these times? And, and, and more particularly for our purposes, why this miracle through Peter and John? Uh, well, one, one thing, it serves as confirmation, uh, as confirmation. Now we can compare, this is really in some ways a continuation of the, the period of miracles that Jesus was doing. Uh, Jesus' miracles seem clearly in the Gospels to confirm his authority, to confirm his, his identity as, as one who is sent by God to confirm his message, uh, confirm that the kingdom of God had, had come with him uh, from God uh, in power. And um, that certainly seems to be, continue to be a function of miracles that God does through the apostles in Acts. It shows that, that Jesus is still powerfully at work uh, in, in his ministry through the apostles. Uh, it confirms, uh, before there was a written New Testament, confirms God's word through the apostles. Uh, so it's a confirmation. Secondly, uh, this miracle serves as an illustration. Again, just like with, with Jesus' miracles, now often it's seen, they seem to say something about the work of God to illustrate what God is doing uh, more broadly or, or spiritually. And, and this miracle seems to illustrate new life, uh, new life in Christ. And that's not simply, you know, if, if all we had was verse 1 through 10 to pull out, um, that might be speculative. But Peter, Peter goes on to preach uh, from this miracle and about this miracle and, and says it points to the, the prince of life, or maybe a better translation, the author of life, as he calls him. Uh, it, it, he gives life in terms of forgiveness and eternal blessing, not just medical help. This is what Peter preaches about. And, and think about the ultimate outcome of this miracle. This man who was not ultimately healed, he, he died later like everyone else, but he became in this scene a worshiper of God in Christ. Uh, he seems to have gained what Peter's sermon proclaims. Uh, there are some close parallels with Jesus' healing of a paralytic um, and how clearly Jesus there uh, speaks to the ultimate purpose of his miracles. Remember that scene? Uh, there's a man paralyzed laying on a, a cot or something. His friends brought him to Jesus, but it was too crowded. They couldn't get in the house. So what did they do? They went up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, lowered him down to Jesus. And think how obvious it would have been why they brought him to Jesus. They, they knew that Jesus had healed others, and so they, they drop him down right in front of Jesus. Obvious why they brought him there, and Jesus does what? He says, your sins are forgiven. All right? And you can imagine maybe the, the response of the friends and the man. You know, what, Jesus, obviously, my, my need is to walk. My need is to be healed. And then Jesus only performs the healing, in his words, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And he has him get up and walk. That demonstrated the power of Jesus to save, to give life spiritually and bodily, to totally, eternally. And you think about this healing uh, here in Acts chapter 3, 
and, and how it's a sign of giving life. Um, it's not just a healing of this man's legs. Think about this, this guy, 40 years old. All his life, all he could do was just sit where someone plopped him. Right? He couldn't run and play with other kids when he was a, when he was a child. He couldn't run and play with his siblings. Couldn't help his parents with whatever their work was on the farm or, or whatever it was. He couldn't learn a trade himself or, or contribute to his family in that way. He couldn't, couldn't have a family and support them himself. Couldn't make an income. Couldn't go on a journey. Couldn't go swimming. We, we could multiply uh, imagining what his life was like. And, and so depending on his age, all of that is instantly gifted to him for the rest of his life. Uh, it's, it's nothing less than a, a new life that's given to him. And this is really the point of, of Peter's sermon. Jesus did this. Right? Turn to the powerful Savior who died and rose again. Verse 19, be forgiven, have spiritual life, have eternal life of refreshing, as Peter calls it. Find new life in Jesus. And the healing seems to illustrate that. Thirdly, it has something to say, something to show about the temple. About the temple. Part of the message of the book of Acts will be that the temple is past. The the, the church is is moving past the temple. Jesus fulfills everything the temple imperfectly and inadequately uh, did and pointed to. And, And just think about that particularly since they're there at the temple. Uh, right at the entrance in this, this most magnificent gate, uh, this huge, beautiful temple. It, it, it stood for the way to God, right, by God's design, but it was never God's purpose that it, that it would be the final uh, thing in and of itself. Sacrifices were offered day after day. It didn't really uh, take away sin, right, as Hebrews explains. Only Jesus would do that. Uh, the temple was administered by sinners. It was an imperfect ministry. Uh, it was significantly corrupt in Jesus' day. Jesus called it a den of robbers. Uh, the, 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 even if it wasn't corrupt, the presence of God, the salvation of God, was tied in a way to that specific location. It was limited in that way. Uh, again, think about this giant gate. You needed 20 men to open the way to God, in a sense, to you every day. And then it was closed. There's probably a good chance, according to Jewish tradition, that this man, this crippled man, uh, was not allowed inside the gate. Um, not by God's law, but by, by what had developed as Jewish tradition. He had that limitation. And so as impressive and huge and beautiful as this gate and this temple were, they could not make men right with God or give eternal life or ultimate healing. Uh, But Jesus does. Again, this is Peter's point. Turn to him. Day after day, this man was brought to the temple, to the presence of God, the the place of God's salvation. And nothing changed in his life. But in the name of Jesus, instantly he's given new life. There's something new that's here, something greater. And note that Peter attributes the miracle, verse 6, to the name of Jesus. Again in verse 16, faith in his name. This is why we read earlier from uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, where Solomon prays at, at the inauguration of the temple over and over again. This is the place of your name. This is where your name is. And then Peter comes along uh, many years later and says, salvation is in the name of Jesus. This is what the temple pointed to. And Jesus' name is, is simply himself, his, 
his person, his power, his promises. And finally, this healing says something about Jesus and God's promises. Look at Peter's sermon and see how uh, prominent a theme this is. In verse 13, he uh, goes all the way back to Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, This is the God who's done this. It's implying that that Jesus and all that Jesus has done has, has been God's plan all the way back to then. Verse 18, he says, these things I'm telling you about Jesus are the things, he says, which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets. In other words, the evidence that you've seen in this incredible miracle uh, is this Jesus, that, that your whole Bible, right, the Old Testament at the time, your whole Bible tells you about, including Jesus' suffering. Verse 21, he speaks of Jesus going back to heaven until he returns again, restores all things. He says, God spoke by the mouth of the prophets about this too. Verse 22, he quotes Moses. Verse 24, likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. Again and again, he keeps going back to say this this miracle Jesus performed here connects to, to your entire Bible. This Jesus who did this, this is what your Bible is about. This is a continuation of all that Jesus has done and is doing and will do. And it's all in, in your Bibles, in your Old Testament. One, one sort of side application for us here is, that, is to recognize the whole Bible is about Jesus. Remember, Jesus made this point a couple of times. Remember on the road to Emmaus. Uh, what did Jesus tell those, those disciples on the road to Emmaus? It says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's again shorthand for your whole Bible, uh, their whole Bible, uh, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Um, and the, the Old Testament has been somewhat significantly neglected in the American church. There, there are significant portions of the church that will say, you don't really need the Old Testament, that's for the Jews. Well, I would say Jesus and, and Peter disagreed. They said it's all about Jesus. Uh, do you love and study the Old Testament? Uh, there are some reasons it's more challenging uh, for us, but, but Jesus is on every page of your Bible. Uh, do you realize that? I appreciate that. So this man was healed in order to illustrate and to explain, again, that God is powerfully at work to save sinners through Jesus. Let's consider some application of this healing. Uh, thirdly, on your outline. I want to first address a potential misapplication. And we've been asking as we've gone through the book of Acts, and, and these questions come up more, maybe more frequently as we're getting going, as we read about various events and things, is this normative for the church uh, today? Uh, is what we're reading about something descriptive, something that happened was, that was particular to that time, or is it something that we should expect or do or, or, or so on? In the church still today. And so here's another instance where we might ask that that question. Are are miraculous healings limited to the apostles and their time? Or is it something that we uh, do see or should expect to see in the church today? And I, I again address this with some hesitation and carefully on the one hand. Uh, because there there are of course brothers and sisters in Christ who uh, answer that question differently. Uh, But on the other hand I, I think... 
Uh, either way, there's potentially a lot at, at stake. It's an important question, again, as we've, we've asked it about a couple other things. If it's normative for the church today, well, we ought to be doing healings. We ought to be seeing this, and, and it ought to be a significant part of our ministry, perhaps. Another reason it's, I think there's a lot at stake is, is simply because uh, supposed miraculous healings today are often, not always, but often connected with serious errors. Uh, in the church, uh, to the health and wealth gospel and its, its cognate distortions of the gospel, uh, often. So uh, I want to think about a few reasons to conclude that Christians today are not uh, gifted miraculously to heal, as Peter and John were doing. Or another way to put that is, is simply that God is not at work in that way today. That's not what we're to take away from this passage. Uh, one reason is simply to remember, again, that that. Most of the miracles in the scriptures happen in those three brief periods, clustered around great new revelations of God to his people, uh, confirming God's word. And we're you know, significantly outside of the last of, of those. There's already some evidence of that in the New Testament, uh, that this was a, another simply brief time of that. In, in none of Paul's letters, or Peter's letters, John's letters, are there any instructions for Christians to heal? or to expect this kind of miraculous working to continue. Um, there's no, you know, God wants you to be well and prosperous proclaimed in the letters. There's a lot of, uh, you will suffer, you'll be ill, you'll be persecuted. Uh, Peter will write significantly about that in his letters later. Um, but keep the faith, trust that God is at work in these things for your good and for his glory until he returns. Um, a second reason to make this conclusion is that it's just to contrast the nature of uh, supposed modern healing ministries with what Jesus and the apostles actually did, what they were doing. Um, think about the miracles that Jesus and the apostles did, largely. Um, they, were, they were public, obvious, uh, dramatically supernatural miracles. Right? In, in the book of Acts, we're going we're gonna to read about the healing of three paralytics immediately, up and walking. Um, two people will be raised from the dead. Uh, some healthy people will be struck dead uh, in, in judgment by God for their wickedness. Jesus lays, ra- ra- raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, he healed a paralytic. He healed people who were totally blind and so on. My, my point is simply, never did Jesus or Peter do a healing like, they said, well, this, this man has mild fibromyalgia and he's healed, poof. You know, to sort of leave everybody around thinking, well, okay, if you say so, we didn't see anything. That wasn't the type of miracles that, that they did. And yet that's the nature of, generally, faith healers' claims to healings. It's always internal, invisible, or supposedly works over a large period of time. Uh, always open to the possibility that maybe nothing happened, or maybe there was some power of suggestion or a coincidence in timing. Maybe there was something... Medical that wasn't understood. The point is not, my point is not that we shouldn't pray for healing, that God is not sovereign over that or can't miraculously uh, heal uh, if and how he wants to. But, but I want to encourage us to think about, and it's important to understand, how is God at work today? Uh, where would he have us place our energies and our emphasis and our faith and our prayers, our expectations? I think you ought to wrestle with this fact 
that among those who uh, claim to pray for healings or perform healings today, uh, not, not a single amputee has ever been healed in all of history uh, by someone. N- not a single person who lost an eye has ever been healed by someone. Not a single person has ever been raised from the dead. In other words, no one since Peter has been exercising the gift of healing as we find it in the New Testament, as, as we read about it. Um, here, here's another important contrast, I think. The healing ministries today generally focus or depend on something other than Jesus. Simple faith in Jesus. This is another significant thing. It, it has big implications. These healings are often premised on going to the right person, right, or being at the right place, the right time, the right event. If you're not there, you can't be healed. Uh, praying the right prayer in the right way. Often there's a particular formula, praying in Jesus' name or Praying in the past tense as if this person has already been healed, uh, not asking God to heal. Um, and particularly, it's often premised on having enough faith, right? Having strong enough faith, zero doubting, 100% faith. Just contrast that with what Peter says uh, to the amazed crowd just in this passage here, verse 12. Uh, they're, they're gathering around in amazement, and Peter, but Peter saw this, it says, He replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? What's Peter saying? He's saying, in other words, it's nothing in us. It's not that we believed enough. It's not that he had enough faith. Right? It's not that we prayed the right way. It's not that we're pious enough. It's not because we're at the temple here. And we could go on and on. The implications. This was Jesus, is Peter's point. This happened by faith in Jesus, verse 16. Uh, There's a very famous healing ministry in Colorado Springs. The leader has said this, quote, It isn't up to God to determine who receives healing. It's up to us. Uh, I would suggest that's exactly the opposite of what Peter is saying. Right? This was Jesus. It was not us. Right? What a burden to lay on people. God's not going to do anything about your, your predicament. Right? It's up to you to have enough faith to go to the right place, go to the right person, use the right method, the formula. And what, one of the reasons I, I'm addressing this, not only because I think there's a lot at stake, but there are similar approaches in the book of Acts. Uh, that, that, are, that are presented and, and rejected. Think about Acts chapter 8. Uh, there, there are striking parallels to our day here. Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. We'll come to you probably in a few months or so. Simon the magician saw what, what the Holy Spirit was doing through Peter and John. Uh, you probably remember that story. And what did he do? He, he offered them money to buy it. Right? I want that, that trick. And Peter essentially says, you can't buy this. It's not a trick. It's not a method. It's Jesus at work. It's simple faith in Jesus. Similarly, Acts chapter 19. Uh, in that passage, there are magicians and sorcerers, we're told, who are, uh, they, they see people being healed. They see demons being cast out, in that case, by Paul. And so what do they do? They think it's, it's a particular formula and method. So they go and find a demon-possessed man. This is kind of a humorous story, actually. They go find their own demon-possessed man, 
and they, they say the formula they think works. They say, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out. And what happens? The demon speaks back to them. He says, uh, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Who are you? And he attacks them. <laughs> uh, the, the point again, in, in all of those cases, it is not a method. It's not a trick. It doesn't depend on using the name of Jesus or, or, or going to a certain person. This was Jesus himself at work. Through simple faith in Jesus, the simple faith of his people, and come to Jesus is Peter's message. One of the reasons to spend, again, some time on this to get this right is it has a lot to do with what we expect in the Christian life. Do we expect all happiness and health and success, a, a theology of glory as Luther uh, wrote about? That's the teaching, again, of, of many people today. And, and when it fails, it, it destroys whatever faith was there. But that's not what Peter was offering to the crowds that day in Acts chapter 3. And, and all, of the, all of the book of Acts presents to us a, a theology of the cross, as, as Luther wrote about. Now, Peter didn't. After, he healed this man dramatically, and then people were amazed, and the crowds were gathering. Peter, Peter didn't stand up and say, yeah, gather in. All of you be healed. Didn't say that. Didn't offer for anyone else to be helped in that way. I think that's, that's sometimes remarkable to see what's not in, in a passage. All right, think about a large crowd 2,000 years ago. The, the healing possibilities. Right? Without any modern medicine. All the, all the crushed bones and infections and things that these people would have been through without orthopedic surgery to repair those things or corrective eye surgery or cataract surgery or antiseptics to keep infections out of a wound. What an opportunity to make everyone healthy and happy that day, if that was Peter's goal. But it wasn't. His goal was to give them Jesus. And that's what he did. Jesus' message, Peter's message, is not God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. It's God wants you to be holy and forgiven, to trust him. One of the major themes of the book of Acts will be suffering. Uh, the apostles, the others, will suffer incredibly for the sake of Jesus. They won't escape that themselves or preach escaping that. There's no hint of the point of the gospel being to help us escape suffering in this life. Uh, their call will be to share in the sufferings of Christ. To share in the faith and the trust that, that Jesus put in the Father. And to know the comfort of the gospel through sufferings as we do await the end of all evil and all suffering uh, one day in his return. So, secondly, a main application that the main application Peter does make, uh, letter B in your outline, is repent and be forgiven and receive blessing. Uh, Peter says this miracle shows the power and authority of Jesus, that God is at work through him, that that you need to reckon with who he is. And, and in terms of the crowd he's speaking to here, he says over and over, essentially, you got it horribly wrong the first time with Jesus. Uh, verse 13, you rejected the servant of God himself. Verse 14, you disowned the Holy One. You traded him for a murderer. Uh, verse 15, you put to death the prince or the, the author of life. Peter's piling it on. He's saying, you could not possibly have acted more wickedly or have more guilt before God because of this Jesus. But what is his message? It's that 
unfathomably, God is offering mercy through Jesus if you will turn to him now. Because Jesus suffered for sinners. There is mercy and new life in him. Peter goes on to give three results of of turning to this powerful and gracious Lord. In verse 19, verse 19, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away. The the Greek there is the, the language that's used of washing off papyri, which was essentially their paper at the time. You could wash it so the ink was completely gone. Your sins will be wiped away before God. Verse 19 goes on. In order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Certainly that, that anticipates rest and peace in the presence of God forever. Not immediately. Not in this world, this, this life. Because of sin, it continues to be a refining fire, a sanctifying, a preparing us for that eternal life. And then verse 20 goes on, And that he may send Jesus. The Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things. So Peter's giving this this invitation to turn from the the straight line path to judgment and destruction that the whole world is on, to turn into God's story of redemption. To turn to God and, and join God's story of redeeming the whole world, making all things new. Part of the joy of that will be receiving your king again one day. Um, one final brief note of application, uh, letter C. Uh, you and I, in one sense, cannot do exactly what Peter and John did that day uh, in terms of healing this paralyzed man. But I want to encourage you that you can do basically the same thing overall that they did. Again, not the healing. Peter and John authoritatively and automatically granted healing to this man. They somehow knew he was going to be healed, right? There's no one alive today who can do that. But what were they ultimately doing? They were giving this man and the crowds Christ. That was their purpose. And and they'll go on again through the next chapter to do it uh, over and over again with the rulers and so on as they're arrested. And you can authoritatively offer eternal life in Christ. Uh, Isn't that incredible? So in that sense, you can do exactly what they were doing. Are there lessons here for for helping people in physical need and so on? Yes, we, we haven't taken time to think about that, but the whole point of the healing in this sermon is turning people to the grace to be found in Jesus to give new life in every sense. Pointing people to the Savior and the Lord who is powerfully at work to save sinners, uh, and you can do the same. Uh, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you again this morning for your word uh, here in the book of Acts for this uh, incredible account and confirmation uh, of your power to save, uh, to transform lives. We thank you for the ways that you have uh, given us new life resurrection life already in Christ. We pray for uh, any here this morning who don't know that life in Christ, uh, who haven't experienced uh, what this miracle points to, the forgiveness and refreshing uh, and rest in Christ, that you would draw them to yourself in that way. Uh, We pray all of this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.